the University of New England is embarking on a bold new mission to transform the university's decommissioned boiler house into a purpose-built discovery space. Here on Curiosity Built the Boiler House, we'll follow the transformation of this 1950s industrial building into a regional science-themed play space. Along the way, we'll also chat with leading experts in education, play-space design, and all things STEAM about what makes for an incredible discovery space experience. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and for this episode, I sat down with Stuart Creel, the Director of Science Space at the University of Wollongong. If you were to pigeonhole museums, you'd say uh, slightly dark buildings, perhaps with um, lots of things in glass cabinets. You can't touch, you look at, and lots of panels to read lots of information, and not necessarily historically a place where children would be seen. There's been a shift and a mindset change within the museum fields to see, let's get families coming, uh, let's bring more learning in, different types of learning and different ways to experience a museum. And I think that's where interactives can play a part. So I, I like to think that our long-standing traditional museums are perhaps learning something new from the new kids on the block. Science Space is Australia's most popular regional science centre and incorporates a range of different science experiences, from hands-on play spaces to an immersive planetarium. As of last year, we achieved record numbers again. We were at 62,000 visitors uh, through, which is the highest for any regional science centre in the country. We've got two floors of hands-on interactives highlighting every aspect of STEM, uh, very hands-on. We've got a science theatre where team pull together various science shows um, and we present that to schools and the public. Also, we have uh, what is New South Wales' largest planetarium. So I was very pleased a few years back to get a, some funding, so we've upgraded it to a digitally immersive experience. And more recently, we've introduced a, STEM, a dedicated STEM zone, uh, which we'll be looking at doing more work with next year. Science Space just celebrated its 30th birthday. Back when it all started, it was the brainchild of Glenn Moore, who was then a physics lecturer at the University of Wollongong. He gathered a team of volunteers, and together they did whatever it took to get this initiative off of the ground, including rating science exhibits from the 1988 World Expo in Brisbane. I was actually a lecturer of physics at UOW at the time, and uh, he and his family toured the US, obviously went to the Exploratorium, the mother of all science centres. He could see how his children were engaging with the interactives, and kind of came back and said to the VC of the time, uh, we need to start a science centre. And this all happened round about 1988. Uh, the University of Wollongong had just taken over some old migrant buildings uh, on an area which is now known as the Innovation Campus. And basically the old dining room was handed over to Glen as the building. And uh, Glenn then rallied a team of volunteers together and they actually uh, had some trucks donated to them. The team of volunteers headed up to Brisbane for Expo 88 
at the time that the expo was actually finishing and got special permission to raid all the pavilions. And when I say raid, they literally raided. This was exhibits um, and carpet. So they they came back and uh, fitted out the first science centre, which is the building still remains and is only about uh, half a kilometre from us where we are today. And it was very much started up on a voluntary basis. So weekends, Glenn, his wife as well, would donate their time. Um, and other interested parties, you know, people that were all passionate about infusing STEM uh, in our region and, and in the public, specifically our children. Science Space focuses on providing visitors with tangible, hands-on experiences. When I talked to Stuart, we chatted about the importance of providing low-tech, hands-on exhibits and whether he had a soft spot for a particular exhibit himself. Yeah, there's, there's always a few favourites, I guess. Um, one, one for me at the moment would be, uh, uh, if we call it our vertical wind tunnel. Um, it's just a tube of... Uh, acrylic it's got a big fan underneath that you can vary the speed on and it's it's the one exhibit that i think you know it's one of those wow exhibits you know i produced one back in the uk i've had one produced here and you know you'll you'll have about 30 screaming primary children primary school children all around it shooting parachutes up it or shooting paper cups up there. And for me, hearing the squeals of delight from all the children um, that are then running around catching parachutes, it's kind of like, that's that's for me, it's the sound, it's the interaction. Um, and certainly, yeah, as, as a big kid myself, I still walk past that exhibit and like to hit the button and throw a couple of parachutes up there. For me, I like the retro approach um, I like to think of our exhibits as retro. I guess they play homage to a certain extent to the original Exploratorium exhibits. And for me, there's, there's a couple of reasons behind that. One is we are also familiar and attuned to touchscreen technology. Every child is using an iPad um, probably from the time that they can first touch. You know, mums and dads will pop an iPad or an iPhone just to keep them quiet for five minutes um, and to distract them. And they, their children now are growing up so familiar with that type of technology that actually I think coming into a facility like ours is there's something very novel. You know, it's, it's, it's suddenly big buttons and levers that you can pull and press and handles that you actually turn. And, and in fact, it's quite bizarre. Sometimes, you know, we have an issue that some of our screens that are just display screens, you know, to present some information. It's, it's quite interesting. You see all these fingerprints over the screen because they, they, they think they've got to be able to do something with that. Whereas actually the interactive element is the physical part. And I, th- I think for me, that's, that's a unique experience, particularly in, this time for children. It's funny, we've mentioned about the Expo 88 exhibits. Actually, some of them are still out on the floor. 
And incredibly, um, we've had occasions where we've, we've had a little bit of money, we've developed a new exhibit, we've put it out on the floor and we've had to take one of the old Expo 88 exhibits off the floor. And then because we've got this wonderful historic bond with our community in the region, that we're actually seeing parents come who would have visited the old science centre and they're bringing their children and they're saying, oh, haven't you got the gyroscope exhibit anymore? And it's kind of like, no, we've taken it off the floor because it was old and it was dangerous and it was all these things. And But sometimes there's that nostalgic element that you know, our community wants to see some of the older exhibits. Stuart has spent much of his career designing and building hands-on science exhibits himself. I was excited to ask Stuart what he thinks makes for a great interactive experience and how these interactive exhibits come to life in the first place. I, I used to joke with my workshop back in the UK, the team that I had, um, because you know some of my um, line drawings where there'd be about four or five scribbles on there and I'd say, this is it. This is what you're going to be building next. And they'd look at it and they say, could you just sign it as a, as a Creole original drawing? Yeah. So I'd have to sign it and then hand it over. But, um, that, that would always be the, the, the first part. And, and also for me, being quite a practical person, I like to get my hands dirty as well. Um, sadly, now as director, of a science space uh, or a science centre, have an opportunity to get my hands dirty in the workshop doesn't happen as often as I occasionally like. But sometimes when you've had enough of the spreadsheets and and you need to get some thinking space uh, going, then that's a great time to go into a workshop. And, And I'm very much for the style of prototyping. I've always been very much of the mind that, you know, we take that very basic line concept drawing and we prove out the principles that we're trying to demonstrate. And then that's the only time that you then start to commit to actually materials that are going to cost you money and people's times that's going to cost you money as well. Um, and then hopefully out of that, you, you kind of do your retro drawings so you get your engineering drawings after you sort of worked the issues out with the exhibit when i look back over my history of designing interactives i've probably designed and built 250 interactives and i'd like to say that i got every single one of them right uh, but sadly there were lots of learning curves along the way yeah i've had the pleasure to have worked with some really eminent scientists. And, you know, when you're talking to a professor, say, of aeronautics, who's an expert in his field, and you're then set the challenge of interpreting something that he knows inside out. You know, he lives and he breathes aeronautics. And you've then got to reinterpret that so that a five-year-old can use an interactive exhibit that will not necessarily explain all the concepts to that one child, but inspire them in enough to hopefully want to learn a little bit more. That particular example could could be a wing section 
in a wind tunnel and the child can turn, change the angle of that wing section and suddenly it flies up and when you change it back it flies steady or if you turn it down it flies down. You know, that in itself is real basic concepts of aerodynamics but also I think it's important that you create that multi-level in there. So a five and a six-year-old can play on the exhibit. They can see things coming. They can see outcomes happening. They can learn something just from that. But also I think it's important that as students return to science space, they learn more detail about all of that as well. I don't like to use the term simplifying the science, but it's breaking the science down to different bite-sized levels. Stuart has a long and incredibly successful career creating and managing science centres, but I was surprised to learn that Stuart didn't actually come from a science background. Stuart was trained as a boat builder and says he began working in science centres accidentally and to this day still remembers his first encounter with a Bernoulli blower. If you've ever been to an interactive science museum, or maybe even just to a shop selling vacuum cleaners, you've probably seen a Bernoulli blower. This exhibit explores the behaviour of wind currents and air pressure gradients, and consists of a beach ball suspended in mid-air by a focused stream of wind. And according to Stuart, every good science centre needs a Bernoulli blower. My first experience in a science centre was very much that hands-on element, you know, remember going to the Science uh, Museum back in London and I remember seeing a Bernoulli blower for the first time and seeing the beach ball float on the column of air and for it not to fly off and I just couldn't work it out and I thought now at 22 I consider myself a fairly knowledgeable adult and why don't I know why that is happening? It's one of the stalwart exhibits that you see in the majority of science centres around the world. You know, it's kind of like, you've got to have a Bernoulli blower. <laughs> well, may- maybe it was meant to be, Joe's. Maybe, maybe it was my calling. I'd like to think that. But yeah, I had, when I was at school, I guess my, my education at the time didn't really give me the inspiration to see a future in going to university at that time. And... Um, and so I set my heart on becoming a, a boat builder. <laughs> I, I lived near the ocean. Um, I enjoyed sailing at the time, and uh, it seems a logical path for me at that time, you know, to say, right, I'll combine my interest and do something full-time, you know, and, and that was going to be my path. And then I guess in some respects, you know, it was a good thing to come out of a recession at that time. Yeah, the UK was going through a recession. Uh, it was the end of the yeah late eighties, and um, a friend of mine said, "We've got this old school building. We've just taken over a different bit. Could you come along and do some conversion work?" Knowing that I was a very practical person, so I went along. And as it turned out, I always thought. My friend was a school teacher. It was actually, he turned out to be a director of a small science centre. And I had a look around and that was the time that I saw my first Bernoulli blower. And I thought, wow, what a cool place to work. 
And he said, it's only temporary. I can give you about three months. And, um, and thankfully, they could never get rid of me. It's, it's sort of progressed. Um, I did the simple conversion work that they were looking for. Uh, then we, I said to him, oh, you've got a couple of exhibits that are broken out there. Do you want me to try and fix those? And I did that. And then I moved into different aspects. And I've, I've had the l- lucky experience to have sort of moved through different aspects of a, a science centre and gained lots of experience and lots of knowledge in just about every aspect of how science centres operate. That science centre at the time, it was old school buildings. Uh, it's, there's lots of similarities between that science centre and Wollongong Science Centre, you know, based in the old building. Um, and we actually became aware of a fund that in the UK, which was funded out of the lottery. And it was to fund specific projects that wouldn't be funded by any other way. So we thought, right, let's let's apply for funding and build our own purpose-built science centre. And so quite naively, um, Tony and myself sat down one afternoon. Um, I taught myself how to graphic design and desktop publish. So I drew up my dream science centre, which looking back uh, was probably very childlike. And and we we put in an afternoon together an application uh, and threw it into the Millennium Commission. And it's kind of like, well, how could they refuse? (laughs) And and not surprisingly, um, we we weren't successful, but um, we, we learnt a lot and... Two further applications later, we were actually successful and that became a £12 million purpose-built facility, um, which I was lucky enough to be, you know, working with architects to say, no, you don't want your workshop there, you need your exhibition here, you need, you know, to have that opportunity to get involved with some of those early stage decisions on what a science centre needs to look like and how it needs to function is doesn't happen very often, you know. Um, and I know the Boiler House project, yeah, that's an exciting proposition to be involved in. Um, yeah, because I'm, I might not have that opportunity again in my lifetime to be working on designing a, a science centre. In addition to a building full of hands-on interactive experiences, Science Space is also home to an enormous planetarium that can take you on a journey pretty much everywhere, from the furthest reaches of outer space to the inside of your own body. That's a great toy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've, we've got a, a 10 metre dome and uh, we've got two 4K digital laser projectors. So these things not only have an incredible uh, lamp life in them, uh, yeah, they'll last us about seven, eight years, uh, but also they'll remain ultra high bright they'll yeah the resolution is just incredible and um yeah and to be able to go in there and fly to any planet in fact we've i was down there the other day with the team currently working on a new show for our upcoming school holidays and um it's that's actually a journey to our moon but the fact that we can go into the planetarium be looking over the top of wollongong then head out into space, fly to the moon. We can 
visit all the Apollo sites and then we can actually go down and land where Neil Armstrong touched down and actually be on the surface of the moon. Yeah, for me, that's that's really quite cool. And um, yeah, that planetarium, we have occasional opportunities similar to, say, the workshop when you're doing exhibit development, where actually having the playtime on the planetarium system is sometimes the best way to see what it can actually do. And yeah, we, we've learned so much more just by having that opportunity and suddenly you can see all these spin-off ideas coming for other planetarium shows, which is always really exciting in that space. We can take you underwater. We, we can take you back to prehistoric times. I mean, the, the star field on it is, is awesome. We can specify the position of that star field. So currently ours is set up to Wollongong, um, but we, we could have it set to Armadale. We could have it set to the other side of the world. Um, not only that, we can set the star field to any point in time. So we, we could, you look like a young fellow, James. So we could go back to the, the day that you were born, wherever that was in this wonderful world. And we could look at this, what the stars look like on that night. We've got chemistry models. We've got. Uh, human biology we can bring up an entire human skeleton and overlay all the organs so we could actually do a human biology lesson within that space we've done music features in there um, and we also host a a regular science fiction cinema night so we can present project a, a normal uh, feature but we can also bring the star field up all around us so, in fact, just just last Friday was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So we had a, an audience um, who were all uh, in this time safely socially distanced and uh, were able to enjoy a retro uh, movie experience underneath the star field of Wollongong, which is quite a unique selling point, I think, for the space. And, in fact, I was, I was very lucky... A few years back, we, we actually hosted the Australasian Planetarium Society's conference at Wollongong. And, and part of that arrangement was one of the leading planetarium uh, equipment providers, a company called Evans and Sutherland, uh, said, as part of the conference, we'd like to show off our technology. So we'll, we'll put a system in just so um, we can show the uh, APS, the, the newest technology. One thing for me, it, it showed how awesome the technology had moved on, uh, but it also allowed me to show it off to quite a few colleagues across the university and plant the seed, particularly my uh, boss at the time, uh, who's the uh, Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research and Innovation. I was able to get her in to come and have a quick look at that. Thankfully, I think it was about a year later, uh, I put an application in for funding and we, we got the upgrade. So, um, And we've, we've loved having it ever since. Having managed science centres across the UK and now in Australia, I was keen to use this opportunity to ask Stuart for his advice on building the boiler house. I was keen to know what are some things that he thinks the boiler house discovery space definitely needs to have. It's like, you know, 
your house, you know, even if you designed and built your own house, it's not until you're actually living in it and working in it, you think, oh, I should have had some more storage. And you know, why, why did we put that there? Um, I'd say, and, and this is where, you know, the boiler house, I think, stands as an excellent chance is having a, a building that inspires people just when you get to it. I mean, my science center back in the UK was, was a huge white pyramid sat on the uh, edge of the, the South Downs, you know, an area of natural beauty. Um, as, as schools and children and families would arrive to it, you know, it kind of like just raised uh, excitement as to what it might hold within it. And I think, you know, a building like the Boiler House, you know, has, has that opportunity, you know. And I think it's, it's raising those expectations of the children uh, for the visitors as they come through. And I think scale is everything. I always think, you know, when I looked at designing exhibits, and this doesn't work for all of them, but it's always good to have a couple of wow exhibits. Build it tall or build it high or build it long or something, something about, you know, some of those first exhibits as you walk in, they're the ones to, you know, sort of grab your attention. Natural History Museum in London, you know, you walk in there and there's, there's a huge dinosaur, you know, that's the bit that wows the children and then, you know, they get fired up and start exploring and I think that's that's always the key. And then like a home um, storage, <laughs> you need lots of storage. <laughs> For a hands-on public science centre, the past year has been a challenge to say the least. The coronavirus brought on sudden changes to how businesses could operate safely. And I asked Stuart how Science Space and its team of dedicated science communicators have stepped up to the challenge. We acted very quickly. Um, we're a small team. Um, and I think sometimes having a small team ensures you, you're dynamic and you can adapt very quickly. We weren't given really any notice about not coming back into our building. The instruction came uh, from the government to close museums and galleries. Uh, we got the call and I had to put the call to the staff to say, don't go back into the building tomorrow. Work from home now. And I have to say the team were machines. You know, uh, not only did they go from never having worked from home to getting on with it, um, and some of them coping with children at home, which I know was new ground for some of us. And we ended up producing, um, I think it was a 12-week program of 30-minute live Facebook streams daily. <laughs> it was kind of like, um, you know, pretty much once once we finished one live stream, uh, we were planning out what the next one was going to be. And, and in fact, uh, one of our posts that we put out, the reach, you know, normally, you know, we, we get reasonably good social media engagement. Um, I think one post actually reached 130,000 people and received something like 30,000 people actually engaged with that one post, which was kind of like, for me, that's, that's viral moments. And, and not only that, even in that lockdown stage, we we attracted national interest, you know, so we did a live feature on Studio 10, 
And in fact, towards the end of our lockdown period, um, the Today Show wanted to come to actually Science Space to do a uh, a series of socially distanced uh, weather cuts. You know, so Joe, one of my team, was able to you know do hands-on STEM engagement through Breakfast TV to hundreds of thousands of people, which for me is is a really good achievement. You know, from from a time which is quite challenging. Now we're back in the building, we're operating, we have an exceptional uh, COVID safe plan, uh, all in line with uh, New South Wales health guidelines for operating in museums and galleries. So um, lots of, as you can imagine, with an interactive science centre, we've had to remove a few bits uh, that were perhaps a little too interactive and hard to clean. But a lot of our t- high touch point areas um, are consistently wiped down by members of our team. And also, I think the legacy element for us is the virtual science space element. So this is the stuff that we're still doing until we see sort of um, drops in cases in schools uh, particularly in the Sydney region, we're not going to see schools returning just yet, which is really unfortunate because we we had a full diary booked. Um, but we're hoping, ideally, turn four to see some schools start to return back, which would be awesome. And in the meantime, we've got our virtual engagement. So we've done uh, science shows uh, over Zoom to schools in uh, in our region. We came up with our takeaway STEM initiative, um, inspired by a lot of the restaurants in our region that obviously flipped to takeaway versions of their meals. Um, I thought, well, why why don't we just do a takeaway STEM box? And so we've been delivering those into schools, and that consists of um, some teacher guided worksheets. Uh, there's some online video content that's available for the students uh, to follow, which will take them through various activities. And then we also run three Zoom workshops with those students as well. Um, so this, this small box of takeaway STEM will actually facilitate about nine STEM activities, all based around the living world. The legacy will be how we can start engaging with our regional and remote communities more. You know, science space is is well recognised in the Illawarra. Um, we get a lot of engagement from South West Sydney, but it's all those communities that we can't necessarily, or they can't necessarily come to us as easily. You know, so there's no reason that we can't be doing um, planetarium shows to schools in remote communities. Uh, there's no reason that we can't, those communities can't benefit from the same semi-interactive uh, science shows that we've always done traditionally. And that's actually what we're doing at the moment. In fact, um, bizarrely, uh, our friends down in Victoria, over the last month, I think we've delivered virtual planetarium shows to six schools who are all in lockdown over in Melbourne which is just quite incredible and demonstrates for me, actually, this is one of the things that will come out of COVID as a benefit 
benefit to our, our communities, whether they be near or far. Now that Science Space has reopened its doors and things are feeling a little bit more normal, I wanted to know what's next on the cards for Science Space, and if Stuart has any grand plans for new types of science engagement experiences. One of my dreams would always be to get funding so that we could have an Indigenous person allocated to the planetarium to actually tell that, that important story. Yeah, they're, they're the original astronomers. I can't say too much at the moment, but we're working on what is called the Kaba Research Project. So it's it's an archaeological research project which is looking at our earliest ancestors, which are directly related to our indigenous population. And it's looking at telling their entire story um, through cave paintings in, in areas that none of us will ever be allowed to visit. There's core samples in lakes. This, you know, it's, it's a nationwide research project that's going on with multiple universities, and the headquarters is actually based in uh, UOW. And um, and I'm hoping to announce in the very near future a rather exciting feature that we we may or may not be able to show in the planetarium. But also, I think one of the key elements that we are now developing is our makerspace and our STEM zone. So we actually converted a small storage area and uh, we were able to scrabble a bit of money together uh, to do the conversion. So we've now got an area which was kind of like very much inspired by the Ian Potter Learning Foundation in Deacon. For us, what we have here is an area that will we will facilitate dedicated STEM activities. So the aim is that uh, schools will either come as part of a visit to science space and then bolt on a STEM experience of some type, or it will become a dedicated experience. Yeah, so um, they'll come in and spend two or three hours just focusing on, on a dedicated STEM experience. Associated with this is our makerspace. So this is very much seen as the pilot area. And so far it's got a, a strong membership, uh, primarily made up of uh, UOW students and staff. They come, come through and get access to 3D printers, laser cutters. We've got a water jet cutter in there. Um, and obviously it's an area where people come up and develop their own ideas. There's also a research project involved in that. So it's looking at uh, assessing uh, the outcomes and the benefits that Makerspace and Makerspace Learning provides. Uh, we've got an application in the state government at the moment that we'd like to see a totally community accessible makerspace, you know, and something significant. I know that we've got some great smaller makerspaces around the region, but we want something that is a significant space where people can take out a kind of like a, an anytime gym membership and come and visit the makerspace when it suits them, almost like that 24-7 access, but be able to book a 3D printer 
and not only use the equipment, but also have an area where like minds get together and brainstorm, you know, and, you know, for example, you know, I, I might have a great idea for a wonder widget, uh, but I don't know how to weld, but James, you know how to weld, and we happen to get chatting over a coffee, and suddenly you can help me with my project, and then I might be able to help you with your project. And of course, you know, as with all maker spaces, you, you hope you create innovation, and, you know, between us, we turn this wonder widget into a working prototype. And in fact, UOW has a a great uh, startup incubation centre called iAccelerate. Yeah, so we'd go and see my friend Omar over at iAccelerate and say, hey, Omar, James and I have got this wonder widget. What do you reckon? He says, you can turn that into a great idea. We'll help you set your business up. Uh, we'll show you how to write a business plan, how to do a pitch. And suddenly, between us, James, we've got this wonderful business going on and we're starting innovation in Wollongong. Just as Science Space has become an integral part of the Wollongong community and innovation space, we're excited about the Boiler House Discovery Space becoming a hub for exploration and innovation in the New England region. But first, we need to fit out our iconic building, get some storage space, and of course... You've got to have a Bernoulli blower. (laughs) To find out more about Science Space, you can visit their website, sciencespace.com.au, or follow them on Facebook and Instagram, at Science Space Wollongong. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan Country, and has been brought to you by the University of New England. To find out more about the Boiler House Discovery Space, visit uneboilerhouse.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on Curiosity Built the Boiler House. <laughs> <laughs>